Welcome to the Doc Lounge Podcast, Crazy Cases Series. In this series, we will explore some of the most unusual and interesting cases medicine has ever seen. We will speak with providers of all specialties from all over the nation. We will hear firsthand accounts from symptoms to treatments to cures. So sit back, relax, and let's explore some crazy cases. Hello, how's it going, Doc Lounge podcast listeners? Thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode of Crazy Cases. This is Summer Gilbert, and my co-host today is Pacific Company's EVP of Training, Chris Call. Chris, thanks for joining me once again on today's episode of Crazy Cases. Thank you for having me, Summer. Of course, Chris. You're one of my fave co-hosts. Today on Crazy Cases, Chris and I got to talk to Dr. John Neely. He's based out of Los Angeles, California, and is double board certified in internal medicine and emergency medicine. Dr. Neely shares with us a story of a lady post-delivery having extreme preeclampsia, which uh, turned into a rare syndrome. So I was blown away by the results of this, and uh, it's incredibly interesting and definitely worth a listen. So I don't want to give too much away, um, so stay tuned after this quick message for our Crazy Cases episode with Dr. John Neely. And just a quick reminder, every episode of Crazy Cases is HIPAA compliant. All names have been changed and all personal patient information will remain private. So that being said, let's get started. Well, Dr. Neely, thank you for joining us today on the Doc Lounge podcast. The pleasure is entirely mine. Thank you. Well, for your crazy case, um, take us to the beginning. What were the symptoms and how was the patient presented to you? Well... Um, this is an unusual case that, as I think about it, probably stands out as my shining moment in all of medicine. From the day I started until today, it's probably my, my greatest moment, um, not because of what I did, but because of the importance of the case. Um, this happened at the end of my residency in 2014. I was actually an internal medicine resident. I was a third year. Um, at LSU Hospital in Shreveport, Louisiana, and I was working night float, which means that I was I came in about nine o'clock at night, and I was there till about the same time the next day. And um, as the internal medicine resident on, uh, you take consults from all over the hospital. The vast majority of these consults are from the ER. I was actually in the ER talking to a friend of mine, just shooting the breeze, and my pager goes off, and it's one of the uh, senior OBGYN residents, and um, over the years, I've, I've learned that I have certain chemistry with some kind of medical professions and other ones, it's completely lacking. I've never really gotten along with a lot of the OB residents. Uh, for some reason, uh, it's sort of been a, a, a two-way street in that regard. But um, So this girl calls me, and she uh, takes a little attitude with me, which I didn't initially appreciate. Mm-hmm. But she says, um, we have a girl on the floor, and she's gone blind. I said, what? She said, yeah, uh, she can't see. I said, well, did she come in to the hospital blind? And she said, no. I said, okay, you have my attention. I'll be right there. So I go up to the third floor, and um, she directs me to the uh, 
to the maternity ward where this girl, about 27 years old, had just given birth about 24 hours ago. And I walked in to see her. She was a, a nice young lady. And I said, hi there. And uh, I stood in front of her and I said, can you see me? And she said, no. I said, okay. So I put up three fingers. I said, How many fingers can you see? And she said, I can't see anything. All right. I said, what color shirt am I wearing? She had no idea. The only thing she could tell me was whether or not the light was on or off. And I said, mm -hmm. do you mean to tell me that normally you can read books and watch movies and play sports and you were completely normal? And she said, yes. And I said, so just to be clear, you have gone almost completely blind in 24 hours. And she said, yes. And I thought to myself, well, unbelievable. I've never seen this. I've never heard of it. This sounds just something crazy because other than the fact that she couldn't see, she was completely normal, making sense, had no pain, maybe a slight headache. Wow. And so um, I did what all residents do when they don't know something. They call everybody. Um, I called all my friends. I called uh, the ER resident. I called the neurology resident. I called the ophthalmology resident. I was the internal medicine guy. And I said to everybody, I said, what's going on here? And nobody had any idea. Uh, the ophthalmologist did a, a full um, ocular exam. That was fine. My exam was fine. And so once these people gave their assessment and kind of uh, determined they didn't know what was going on, they went back to their respective specialties and it left me sitting there holding the ball. And so while we're doing this, which of course takes time, we moved her from the floor to the um, what's called the step-down unit, which is a little bit more somewhere between a regular floor and an ICU. And during this transfer, she just got sicker and sicker. Um, she started to sort of become agitated at first. Um, she started to complain of a slightly worse headache. She also um, just became a bit more confused. Um, so other than the fact that she couldn't blind, she had no other symptoms. Um, I didn't really have a chance to review her chart or her lab work because she was really going downhill very quickly. And so once we get her to the, to the step-down unit, uh, sure enough, um, she had a seizure, turned as purple as a grape, and died oh, no. right there on the gurney. She lost her pulse. And you have to understand that I think every doctor should know themselves well enough to know where and when they do their best work. And for whatever reason, I do my best work in um, emergencies. And so I had been studying ER uh, pretty intensely at that time. Um, I'd done ACLS and PALS and ATLS. And I was really getting into the field pretty heavily at that point. And I saw her have a seizure, lose her pulse. And I jumped on that gurney so fast. And she was probably about 115 pounds soaking wet. I dropped everything I had on her chest probably broke every rib and uh, started doing CPR as aggressively as I've ever done it. And to this day, I'll never understand why I did this. I actually said, you will not die tonight. I don't know why I would say that, but I did. And mm -hmm. after um, about one cycle of CPR, which is around two minutes, she woke up and started screaming uh, at the top of her lungs. Very strange way to, to uh, what's, to, to gain what's called return of spontaneous circulation. And uh, once she woke up, the color came back to her face and she sort of woke up. Um, 
And we transferred her to the ICU where she got uh, life-saving medicine, things like mannitol that helped to lower intracranial pressure. We did some CT scans and some MRI scans. And it finally came out in the wash because I was there all night, so I followed up with her. Um, she had a very rare case, something called PRESS syndrome, which stands for posterior reversible encephalopathic syndrome. Um, and all she needed was a little bit of medicine to help lower the intracranial pressure. But um, PRESS syndrome is, is very interesting. I'd never heard of it before tonight, or before that night. Um, mm -hmm. Not being in, in, in the OBGYN world, I don't really deal too often with preeclampsia, but to, to give you the sort of the full picture here, preeclampsia is a mysterious syndrome that uh, women after 20 weeks pregnancy can develop, and it can go all the way up to six weeks postpartum. It's characterized by things like elevated blood pressure greater than 140 over 90, protein in the urine, uh, swelling in the feet, headaches, and occasionally vision changes. But on the preeclampsia, like so many things in medicine, is actually a spectrum with the left side being not that severe and on the right side being extremely severe. Um, Press syndrome is a very unusual manifestation of late preeclampsia where for whatever reason, the back of the brain, uh, the occipital lobe selectively swells. And so her eyes were fine. Her optic tracts going back to the visual processing center of the brain were fine. But the actual, the CPU, the visual processing center of the brain was swollen. So it's called cortical blindness. The eyes were fine, but the processor was messed up. And um, all she needed was to help uh, bring her blood pressure down and reverse that elevated swelling, the elevated intracranial pressure. And uh, the next morning, I walked into the ICU, and I came into her room, and I saw her sitting up, and she looked great. Uh, she was fully awake, alert, appeared to be cheerful, and uh, had no idea um, how close she was to a bad outcome last night. And I walked in there, and I sat down, and I said, hi there. Do you remember me? And she looked at me, and she said, I have no idea who you are. And I said, you know what? It's probably better that way. And I got up and walked out, and that's the last I ever saw. Wow. I, I think that was probably my crowning achievement in, in medicine because so much of what we do is at the extremes of life. People who haven't yet reached their peak or people who are up in years sort of approaching the winter of life. But this is a young lady that had her whole life ahead of her and a brand new baby. And I, I'm proud to say that if we hadn't done CPR that night on her, she would have died. Yeah. yeah. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And what really blows my mind about it was how quickly it happened. The whole thing probably happened in about 15 minutes. And I've seen preeclampsia cases uh, since that time, but nothing as severe. And I'm telling you, boy, if I didn't take it seriously before, I sure do now. Yeah, I bet. For those physicians listening, what would be some red flags for them to look out for? Well, it's... um. We'll get into more of this, hopefully, uh, a little bit deeper in the podcast, but I have, I'm have i a big believer in pattern recognition. All of medicine, from pathology to pediatrics, can boil down to pattern recognition. The problem is there are about 10,000 of them, mm -hmm. but uh, the pattern here is anybody who is 20 weeks pregnant, going all the way out to six weeks postpartum, that has headache, vision changes, and elevated blood pressure over 140 over 90. Uh, and if you have a urinalysis protein in the urine, a person who fits that profile that's having vision changes, that is a medical emergency by all measure. 
you have to get the blood pressure down and you have to treat them with probably magnesium to help stave off a bad outcome. Um, I was doing some reading the other night talking about the incidence of press syndrome. It's very low. It's somewhere less than 3% of all preeclampsia patients. But if you play this game long enough, you'll probably see it. Wow. When you reflect back at this case, is there anything that you wish that you would have done differently or approached differently? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the challenge of, of, I play guitar and the, the challenge of music is it has to be great before it's any good. Hmm. Uh, you can't play music decently and have it sound great. Medicine's the same way. You have to be a master before you're any good at it. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> looking at the case for a long time, I looked at it as just an isolated case of cortical swelling and blindness. But in fact, what I should have done from the moment I entered the room is understood that this was a variant of preeclampsia. Um, the reason I mentioned that you have to be an expert before you're any good is as you go through internal medicine, you have to study all the different disciplines. You have to study a little OB, you have to study a little neurology, you have to study a, a lot of cardiology. And it just takes time to figure out that all of these different specialties are not, in fact, completely isolated. They're all interconnected in, in a certain way. And the master of medicine is able to jump seamlessly between organ systems and uh, subspecialties to understand how pathology feeds into other pathology. Mm -hmm. And so what I should have done, looking back on it, is as I was walking up the stairs, said, I'm going to an OB floor. I have a girl who's postpartum. She probably has a, a variant or a manifestation of preeclampsia. Let me start thinking about all the variants of preeclampsia I'm aware of. And that way I would have gone in there with a the game plan. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? It turned out okay, so I'm not yeah. Too upset. Yeah, and being able to look back and really absorb what you could have done differently. I mean, it doesn't matter if it was a good outcome or bad outcome. Always reflecting, I think, is super important. Gosh, what an interesting case. So you mentioned that press syndrome was extremely rare, about 3, 5%, 3%, is that right? I think it's even lower than that. I think it's somewhere between the number that pops into my mind is something between 0.7 and 3%. Wow. For whatever reason, um, actually, I, I, we know the reason, uh, in the first world, Western Europe, the United States, other first world countries, Canada, we have the great privilege of having wonderful um, perinatal care. And so doctors are often uh, able to see preeclampsia before it gets bad. They're able to uh, give medicine for high blood pressure and help to stave off these later complications. The higher incidence um, is in developing countries where they don't have that, that outstanding perinatal care. The statistic I was reading the other night came out of India and Nepal. So uh, unfortunately, this is much worse in less developed countries. Yeah. Yeah, understandable. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Crazy. I hope that one of our listeners out there, uh, whenever they get the call from somebody saying, we have a patient who's gone blind, mm -hmm. the first thing you think about be eclampsia. <laughs> yeah. And the one thing you, that people need to know about eclampsia is um, the only treatment really for it is magnesium. It's blood pressure control and magnesium. You wouldn't think that. Like, what the heck does magnesium do to reverse eclampsia or preeclampsia? As far as I know, nobody knows. I don't know the mechanism of action, but eclampsia equals magnesium. 
It's a very simple recipe. Cool. Well, it's a simple recipe that these physician listeners will now know. Um, but I have a quick question. So circling back on the relationship with your OBGYN, was it different after the case? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think we, anytime, anytime you have a difficult case, uh, and you come out of it, um, having had a positive outcome, it does forge uh, strong personal bonds. Yeah. Um, it's funny because different fields of medicine attract different types of personalities. And, uh, for some reason, I just never really had any chemistry with that particular department in our hospital, but you probably heard of people who, um, have, have been to war together, um, Marines, soldiers, sailors, they say that nothing in life can, can create a bond like combat. Mm -hmm. I've never been in combat, but I can tell you in the hospital, it's probably the closest thing in civilian life you'll get. Yeah, um, oh, absolutely. You always have that, that shared experience. Yeah, definitely. And when you say personality, it's so true. Cause when we have doctors on the podcast and we ask him, for example, what is the, is there a certain personality that you think should go into infectious disease or primary care? And they really come back at us with a, a, a truly specific answer. So I, I totally believe in that. I think there's definitely a relationship uh, between specialty and personality. That's absolutely true. And one of the things that looking back over my, my life and my career, that I, I didn't fully appreciate. It goes back to what Shakespeare said, know thyself and to thine own self be true. To be successful in medicine, you have to know yourself. And so um, people who are naturally, uh, uh, how do you say this? People that are sort of naturally geared towards a specialty do have a certain similarity of personality type. Like you mentioned infectious disease. Some of the smartest physicians I've ever met were infectious disease doctors mm -hmm. and they naturally have a wonderful attention to detail. Um, they're very precise. They're very meticulous and they're very detail oriented. Um, if you compare that to somebody who might be a good ER doctor, um, it's a totally different personality type. I've always noticed that the infectious disease doctors sort of like to hang out in the background, come in, do their part and leave. Whereas the emergency medicine doctors that tend to be successful, um, just take a much more overall aggressive approach to patient care. So medicine goes back to personality. That's just the bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your case. I hope these physicians listening get a lot out of it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to be a guest or for more information, go to www.pacificcompanies.com.